We are in week seven of our end time series. Uh, it's a how-to guide to not fear the unknown, uh, that we do not lead, need to live in fear, but in faith and in hope. Uh, we've been reading through 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, for this entire series, but for the sake of time today, as we're getting towards the end of the series, I want to cover some ground with you today, and if we're going we're gonna to just talk about that the first verse says uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul was telling Timothy, that in the last days perilous times would come. Perilous times, troublesome times. Uh, times that cause people to live in fear because of the unknowns. And if there's anything that would uh, depict where we are or what we're living in today, it's the unknown. There's uncertainties all around us, right, that we don't know what the political climate is or what the economic climate's going to be and how it's just turbulent. It's up and down, and every day you wake up to the news thinking, what's going to happen today? How, what's going to go wrong or what's going to go right? And uh, it's perilous times. But as we think about those perilous times in the end times, we need to put it in the context that we're living in end times today, yes, or the last days, but Paul, the apostle, uh, just a few years after Jesus ascended to heaven, Paul was telling the churches throughout all of his writings that there would uh, be, and they were living in the last times, that uh, there was a place that they was existing at that time 2,000 years ago, and they were living in the last days. Uh, Peter, uh, Jesus' disciple that uh, he allowed to preach the first sermon, he uh, lived his life and preached that they were living in the last days. So 2,000 years ago, they were in the last days and thinking it was the end times. Today, we're living in the end times and thinking it's the last days. And if you go through generations and generations and all the centuries that have lived since those first disciples, they all talked about the end times. But there is verses that leaves us with a little bit of understanding that we don't know at all. So we're not to fear that unknown of that, but we do know some things. And Jesus said for sure that we wouldn't know the day nor the hour that he comes. You won't know that. You're not going to know the day nor hour. And he also said, but you will know the times and the seasons. So God won't tell us the day nor hour, but he will let us know that seasons and times are changing. The world is a worse place to live in today than it was other generations. You talk to some uh, the baby boomers and they talk about how great the growing up was when you could wreck bicycles and skin your arms and not have to wear helmets and all that cool stuff, right? <laughs> I lived in that generation. You built ramps, right? And you, you did things and probably living life on the edge. The older I get, the more I think about every move I make that I'm going to trip and fall and break my arm. Amen. Everything I do, I see it from that perspective. The older I get, I've never broke a bone yet, thank God. But uh, I just see myself tripping and breaking an arm. I don't want to do that. So we can't live in that fear. But as this end times things comes upon us, uh, most churches, when they preach about it, they preach about it from a point of perspective of fear. They want you to live in fear. I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to live in faith. I want you to live in hope of eternal things, that we know what the last days are. We know we're living on this earth. We know there's perilous times. The Bible told us that. But as we're living in those, we know that there's yet something else to come. 
And we've went through those events, and we know those events uh, in great detail, right? Right? We know 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that the next great cataclysmic event to happen is going to be where that what? What's the next thing to happen? I'll let Joe side bail you out. of the church. The leaving of the church what? the rapture. 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 Okay. Rapture. Yeah. Is it working? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, hey, Jesus is going to come and he's going to take all the believers up into heaven and leave the rest of the people on earth. Is that right? Good. Anything else? Good. I think that's good. I think you're good too. I like it. It's awesome. Next great event to happen is Jesus is coming, and it says in Acts chapter 1 that he's going to come on a cloud, and we're to be waiting on that, right? We're to be tearing, waiting on that to happen, that he's coming on a cloud. And First Thessalonians, when Paul was writing to that church, he said that don't be, uh, you know, that as this happens, he says that there, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with them together in the air. So that's what's, that's what's next. After this life is another life. Right? Egyptian pharaohs believed in that so much that in an afterlife that they built these great big tombs, pyramids, right? Because they was believing in an afterlife and they were uh, memorializing what they lived on this earth, preparing for afterlife. So they had all these other things put into the uh, tombs that they had, preparing for the afterlife. Um, we need to prepare for the afterlife. But at that point, when that rapture happens and God takes the church from the earth, it's going to be even worse times, right? We know that, that there's, there's bad, bad times. So that's Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. It says that there will be something happen after the rapture. Next thing would be the uh, revealing of the Antichrist. Because <laughs> Revelation talks all over the place about the Antichrist, right? It talks about the bowls and these uh, horsemen and all these symbolic things that was going to happen and scorpions. and It's, it's kind of weird, but we talked about how that John was writing about a revelation that he had about end-time things, which is going to happen who knows at what time, but he, he, if he saw a jet, what would he describe that as living 2,000 years ago? What would that look like to him? It'd be like there's birds flying and they're shooting out stingers. And, you know, that's what he's explaining, what he saw in his language of his day. So rapture, tribulation, seven years, seven years of that. Uh, really bad times because if the Antichrist is in control because the church is gone, as that's happening, these seven years of tribulation is about uh, hell on earth. Let's put it that way. Pretty bad times. 
not good. Don't want to be here. So how do we miss that? Anybody want to skip that part? You think it's bad now? It's that much worse during the tribulation. So how do you prepare for that? That's what we talked about in week one. You got to get saved. You got to give your life to Jesus. You got to accept him as your savior. You got to say, I'm sinner. He's savior that hung on a cross for my sins. And he died for them even though he was perfect. And he took my sins and bore them on the cross that I don't have to bear them. That I don't have to earn salvation. I don't have to work hard enough. I don't have to read my Bible enough. I don't have to pray so many hours a day. I don't have to uh, live this ceremonial law that you read about in Leviticus that you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go here and you can't go there. And you can't. It ain't about can'ts now. It's about cans. Right? Jesus changed it. In Old Testament law, they was living under all kinds of bondage, really, the law. And Paul says that, that the, that the law binds you, but grace frees you. So, as we say that, we're living through this and we're picturing this and we're knowing that this is the end time events and then there's going to be, we talked about that uh, at the Battle of Armageddon that we're coming back, that's in the seven year point, then there's going to be a thousand year millennial reign, right? That there's going to be a thousand years where Jesus is king on this earth and we, which went to heaven with him in the clouds, go up there and have a marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And we're going to have a party, it's going to be a hoedown, we're going to be in heaven, everybody down here is putting up with hell, we're going to be up there with him. It's going to be good times. At the end of that, when the devil and the Antichrist reveals himself, and he's going to mock God, and he's going to tell God, I dare you come down here and try to fight me again because last time I lost, this time I'm going to win. I hate that for him. It's already lost, right? The battle is the Lord's, it says. Uh, Old Testament Micah says, the prophet. So as the battle's the Lord's, when Jesus fights, he don't have to fight because he's already won. When you're a winner, you don't lose. Jesus has never lost. He can't lose because he contains all power. Impossible to be overpowered. Wow. Into that, he lives out a thousand years, rules and reigns, and does it in justice, and, and there's no ill in the world at that time during this thousand-year millennial reign because Jesus is king, and whatever he says goes. And Jesus don't want to harm you. You know that? Jesus don't want to harm you today. He says perilous times will come. Yes, they will. But guess what? I have overcome the world. And he says, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in the midst of our troubles while we're living on this earth. But a thousand years millennial reign of his living his kingdom on earth. And at the end of that thousand years... Now what? So we've made it all these weeks. We're on week seven, and here we are. Now at the end of the, of the millennial reign, it's been a thousand years after the tribulation. Now what? Now what? The now what now is that there's a great white throne judgment. This is the judgment we talked about last week about how that God's going to open the books, and he's going to look for your name in a book. You ain't going to be judged according to your works. You're going to be according, judged according to where's your name. Is it in the book or not? I want my name in the book. Because the difference in how you live after that moment is eternal peace, it says. Eternal peace. How many would like just temporary peace? How many would like just a day of peace? <laughs> Maybe even a week. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Just absolute peace. 
Thou have to have no troubles, no, no sorrow. And that's where the Bible talks about it in, in Revelations, the very last few chapters in 21 and 22, that it's talking about that there will be no more tears, no, the dim the eye and all those things. That's the eternal peace after the millennial reign. It's going to be good times. Forever. Eternal. It's amazing to me to talk about eternal things because my mind, my carnal mind cannot comprehend that. When you say you're going to live forever, that's a long time. Because here, if we just live 80, 90 years, it seems like an eternity, right? If somebody lives in their 90s, and I, I know one gentleman, he's uh, 98 years old right now, waiting on uh, August to get here so he can turn 99. And he just fell and broke his hip there the day. I, I love him to death, and... But he's old, you know. It's like he's lived a long life. And when you say eternal, it's that times a million. It's that times a hundred million. It's that times a hundred billion. There's no number that says what eternity is. You can't quantify it in time, in terms of time. It's forever. And in that is where we flourish. So what I want to talk to you today about is how to flourish. Because if I talk to you about an eternal thing, I want to apply to your life today. And what that life is like is flourishing in heaven forever with nothing else to be after that. There's no more now what's. Okay? And I, I can't explain that. I don't know how. It's an unknown to me. I don't fear that. I don't fear the eternal. Because I, I know that my name's written in, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do you know that? Because Jesus said it would be. She's walking. Wow. Pretty well, too. Maybe more of a stumble, but wide step stumble. Awesome. <laughs> She's smiling. She's going to be a little bit different than Livy. Livy's got that. Livy's like me. she got that sour look on her face. I love Livy. She was happy with her breastplate of righteousness this morning that she had one. So eternity forever. But I want to know if I'm going to apply that today. So I'm saying that there is an eternal living of flourishing where that it is always springtime. How many love springtime? After a long, hard winter, everything is dead, everything's dried up, and you come into this season where that it's getting ready to happen, and in springtime, everything begins to happen, right? The leaves begin to bud. The leaves come on the trees, and your grass grows in your yard that you get a mow. And it's like the blessed thing is springtime, right? We love springtime. So as this springtime happens, that's what ever flourishing means. It's basically like where everything is alive, and it's always new. Always new. Never gets old. And no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more all the things that it lists in Revelations. How awesome is that going to be? But how do we flourish today? So as I say that, if we're living in today, what is today? So I believe that there are dispensations of time. That there was an Old Testament dispensation. So that means when did it happen? And how long did it exist? A dispensation, a segment of time. So the Old Testament segment of time was from the time that God created Adam and Eve. They sinned, 
he comes down and he gives them the law. So that, that brought about the Old Testament Levitical law type of stuff that God allowed Adam and Eve to live in a, a state where that they were fallen. They had sinned against God. They were in a fallen state. And God allowed that dispensation of time to happen from that point all the way to the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. That was a dispensation of an Old Testament time. But when Jesus was born, things changed. Amen? For one, your calendar changed. It reset the whole world. Sinners, Christians, everybody bases their calendar off of the birth of our Savior. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns heaven and earth, right? He reigns. What's that mean? When his birthday happens, it changed the world, including how they counted time. Everybody say, wow. That should be, man, awesome. He's so big that he changed the calendar because he wanted to. Wow, that's just dumbfounding. Can you change the calendar for the world? Nah. You might change it for yourself. Some people I know, I worked with an old guy one time. He said, I don't believe in that old, I hate messing with that, uh, what do you call it, spring forward, whatever that is. It's called something. I don't know what it is. Huh? Daylight saving time that American law made allowed to happen. So they got this daylight, stupid daylight saving time. This old guy's like, I'm not doing that. I'm fuddy daddy and I'm not going with that. So you could ask him, What time is it, Larry? Well, according to my time, he lived off his own watch. He didn't care. The law wasn't going to make him do anything. According to my time, it's about 11 o'clock, but on yours, it should read about 12, I suppose. So, yeah, we can go to lunch. So he can only control his own little world, right? God controls the time of all the world and everybody in it and everything in it. It's all his. How awesome, right? But this dispensation that we're in, so there was a dispensation where Jesus was walking on this earth. So all the time before that was Old Testament law and how everything was going about. But when Jesus came, they started telling him what he could and could not do on a Sabbath, right? Jesus said, well, Sabbath wasn't, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was for the man. They had misconstrued, messed up what God had said and the dispensation that he had given them, how to live out in law. They, didn't, they messed it all up. All the Jews, the rabbis, and all them had, had, had messed up that system. So Jesus comes, he starts explaining it in terms of reality. And he's living on this earth in a human body, God himself, and he lives here, they say 33 and a half years or thereabout. So it's somewhere along those timelines, something after 30. You couldn't be a rabbi until you was 30. So he had to live more than 30 years. And he had about three and a half years of ministry. So Jesus, during that dispensation of time, was Christ on earth as a suffering servant of humanity. That's a dispensation of time. But at the end of that, he hung on a cross. Right? We know the story. The Passion of the Christ taught us a story. We didn't ever read before in a book. It's they come up with it new. Mel Gibson or whatever his name is come up with it and showed us how it all went down. Actually, it's the Bible. 
But Jesus is there. He hangs on the cross. They spear him in the side to make sure he's dead. They uh, beat him with a cat of nine tails. They nail him to a cross. they got all these things that they're doing. They're spit on him, and they're mocking him. They're hitting him, they, and all these things are happening. And as Jesus is doing it, he's doing it in our place. It's symbolic of what we deserve for the sin we've done against God. But Jesus bore all of that himself for every one of us. So as this happens, and they kill him, and he dies bodily, spiritually he never died. He's still just as much God as he ever was. His body that he lived in for 33 and a half years here is dead. The heart quit beating. And it says that Joseph Arimathea come and took the body and he laid it in his tomb to rest, right? And we know the story of Easter and how that that happens. And here, here Jesus' body, physical body, is laying in there. But it says in Philippians that he went into Hades and went in there and preached the gospel to all those that had died before. Jesus went to hell. And he liberated those in chains. The three days that he was in the tomb, his physical body, Jesus himself went to hell and took the keys from the devil. That's what it says. How awesome is that? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven and earth. Man. So he's down there, and on the third day, we know what the story is, right? On the third day, they go to find him and his body isn't there. Because Jesus comes out of hell, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he takes captivity captive, it says in Corinthians. Wow! And now, here, he's living again on this earth for 40 days, and he's telling his disciples all this stuff, and he's preparing them, and he goes out and finds them, and he, he cooks them breakfast one morning, and, and they tell the story about them, and Peter jumps off the boat and swims to the shore, and all these things happen for these 40 days. Jesus is talking to them. But then on 40 days, at the 40-day point after his resurrection, Jesus is standing there one day in Jerusalem, and they're talking to his disciples, and the next thing you know, it's like a heavenly light shone, and this thing where the Jesus is raptured up, and he goes, goes up to this cloud and he's taken away from them and his 12 beloved disciples that love him dearly or 11 of them because you know Judas did what he wanted to do so 11 of them stand there gazing and the angel up there says look men of Galilee why stand you here gazing this same Jesus that was taken from you will return to you in like manner and whenever he said that he said but at the same time you know Jesus told them tarry in Jerusalem till I come until you be endued with power through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's on the day of Pentecost, ten days later, after Jesus ascended, and they're standing there, and they're in an upper room, and we read about in Acts chapter 2, and when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes on them like a cloven tongues of fire, right? And they're in this upper room, and they're empowered, and they're strengthened because they're in there in a locked room, scared of who's going to come and get them. And whenever the Holy Spirit comes, He emboldens them, and they go out in the highways and byways, and they go out in the streets that Jesus told them where to be anyway. And as they're out there, they begin to preach. And it says that Peter, one of the eleven, stood up in the midst of them, and he began to declare, in the last days, perilous times will come. 
He said, the prophet Joe has prophesied to you in the last days that God will let his spirit empower people that he believes, that believes in him. And whenever he empowers them, he will come into them and he will dwell with them and he will be their God and, and, they, and, and he's going to be with them, living on the inside of them. It says, your handmaidens, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions and Everybody gets a chance. It isn't about male and female. It isn't about women liberation because the greatest women, uh, woman liberator that ever lived on this planet, his name was Jesus. Amen? Even when he lived here and they brought him, that woman caught in adultery that day, he made them all turn around and walk away sad because they knew they had sin that they was wanting to cast on to her. The greatest woman liberator that ever lived was Jesus Christ. And he wants us to stand up for the same thing. We can brag about how good America is, can't we? But from 1776, from the date of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution believing in freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, do you know it was until 1920 that the first woman voted in America? We talk about how free we are. But we're in bondage, really, in this life. But Jesus is a liberator. He liberates our soul from that sin. So as this happens, from that point, when Jesus empowers the church and Peter preaches, and the first sermon ever in a church was out in the streets in Jerusalem. And Peter's standing there. He begins to preach. And Dennis, can you imagine, just, just, just think back on that of Peter standing out there in a crowd of people, in a sea of people, he begins to preach and it says 3,000 people got saved in that moment. That's a pretty good kickstart to a church. How many would like to see 3,000 people get saved in an instant in Lewis County? Amen? Wow. That's how God is. That's what God does. So as this happens and he empowers people to go and preach, he empowers them to be a witness of what he already did. So your uh, dispensation that we're living in right now, in this moment, we're breathing air right now, is a dispensation of time. So we know that there was a Levitical law dispensation. We know there was a dispensation where Jesus was here alive in a body. We know that he died. We know that he resurrected. We know that ten days later after he left that he empowered uh, Christians to preach. It's known as the dispensation of grace. Because prior to that, you had to earn your way to heaven. If you don't believe me, read Leviticus. You had so many things you had to do in order to be a Christian. Not a Christian, but a Jewish person then. Now, a dispensation of grace is that where that you can freely accept the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn it at all. You, you can't read your Bible enough, like I said, Josiah. Can't earn your way to heaven, man. Might be, man, I, I just want to read this enough, and I read this enough, then I'll, I'll get saved. No, you can't read it enough to get saved. You can't pray enough to get saved. Romans chapter 10, right? It tells us that salvation happens whenever we believe and we confess. 
right? Romans chapter 10. We believe and confess. Believe Jesus was here and he died for my sin and confess it with my mouth that I'm accepting him as my Lord and Savior. Your name is written in that book of life so that you can live in eternity flourishing. But that eternity out there also applies to here because the second I do that, and Cindy, whenever you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you confessed that with your mouth, and you believed it in your heart, you begin to flourish. The old man has passed away, it says in Corinthians, and all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Everything become new when I got saved. A whole new life. And I flourish in it. And it's awesome. But heaven's going to be even better than that. I'm living the life right now. Am I saying it's perfect? No, I have perilous times. I have times of heartache. There's people in our church has times of heartache. And the Bible says whenever one person in a church is uh, dealing with issues or hurting, everybody's supposed to hurt with them. So the verse I want you to see for today, and we're about done here, Psalm 92 verse 13 it says those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God let's let's flesh that out what's that look like in real life today what's it mean to be planted Amy you grow gardens what is it to be planted? Opportunity to grow. So if we're planted in the house of our Lord, it's church, right? So let's put this where it is, make it simple so I can understand it. So if we're planted in the house of the Lord, we're planted in here. And we're in this church planted as individuals of Bethesda. And sure, we've got a Bethesda Golf Association that there's a few Bethesda club members. Don't cost anything. You can just go golfing with us. It's pretty awesome, though. Right, there's connection groups where you can become planted in Elizabeth's group and go out to somebody's house, to Cindy's house, and eat some s'mores or whatever they're going to cook. It's going to be awesome, campfire food, right? It's planted. So as this happens, as you're planted in the house of the Lord, you begin to connect with other things around you. And you know how they tell you stories, if you don't have honeybees, that nothing will pollinate, nothing will grow, and nothing will work, that the, that the world can't exist without honeybees doing the pollination? Do you know you're sitting here pollinating right now and there needs to be some bees flying around and jumping off of Amy and coming over here to get on the net so that something in the net's life. And whenever that cross-pollinization is happening, that's where whenever the net's hurting because you're an empath, and I know you are, that you can sense not even when he, she don't even have to tell you anything. Amy sits there and says, I feel it in the room today. And her pain is my pain. We're to be planted in this house for each other. And I say it in my marriage ceremony that I do all the time. It's kind of a newer version, but it's okay with me. I like old and I like new. I'm all over the place. But I like this new version. It says that whenever in the, in the marriage ceremony, whenever I'm charging the people that's getting married, I always tell them that now that you're becoming married, your two are becoming one. So I want you to know that whenever there's pain, that in a marriage, that that pain is halved because two of you can bear that burden, right? 
And then also I say, but there's also seasons of joy. And now that there's two of you and both of you have joy, that joy is doubled. Pain is halved, joy is doubled. So what's that look like for a church? Whenever one hurts, we all hurt. Amen? That's what's planted in the house of our Lord is, where that we feel each other's pain, we pray for each other, we encourage each other, but then during the seasons, and there's seasons of pain, amen? There's people in this room right now, you might be going through a season of your life where that you don't understand, you don't know everything that's going on, and you sense pain, and when that happens, you need to have somebody that you can talk to to say, pray for me. And that's what you need a church body for. And you don't have to stand up here and tell everybody every issue that's going on in your life. You just need to have somebody to help you pray. Lighten the load with me. But then at the same time, whenever the season comes that you get victory in that situation, you need to call that person back and say, guess what? I just got through that, and it's a joyous time, and it's great here today, and I'm living the dream. And as you do that, joy is doubled. So there's seasons of all that, dispensations of all that. But I want you to know today, I want you to flourish more than anything. So there's one person I talked about in early service this morning at Vanceburg, and I just want to tell you this, and then we're done. Eric Sylvie, who attends Vanceburg campus a lot of times, and, and Brittany, his wife, and they got a little girl named Mylon and a little boy named Ledger. And Ledger's a hoodlum. And Brittany has a hard time. He works construction, but he's out of town, and he just left for a job yesterday morning. We went to dinner with him Friday night, me and Leslie, as a family. We wanted to go out and eat with him before he left, and he left for a, a construction job, and he's not coming home till Labor Day. How would you like to leave and not come home till Labor Day? It's bad enough, Ryan, driving to Columbus and back and getting back late. He won't be back to see his babies till Labor Day. It makes my heart hurt. And the closer it gets time for him to leave, he starts texting me, and he don't care if I share this with you. And I, he, he would text me, Pastor, pray for me, man. Pray. Pray that God will open the door because he wants to be around his wife and babies. And as a pastor, I feel it. I'm telling you, I feel it. And to see the look in his eye whenever he's up there eating at B-dubs there the day and just knowing he's leaving his wife and kids for over a month. That stinks. And I want us to, I want the church to have that with him. How many will take a part of that and say, I don't need to have it because there's 80 of us and we can just take one 80th of it and it'll be real light, the burden will on him. I'll take my 80th, how about you? How many will pray with me for Eric right now that God will open the door so he can get home and be with his wife and kids? That that season will be over. That God will give him a job that he dreams of and take care of his family. I want us to pray that. I want us to have that. But at the same time, whenever he gets the job at home and he gets to come home, I want him to stand up and brag, look what God did. And we can have joy overflowing the joy of the Lord is our strength it can be doubled or aided we can all have a part of it stand with me if you will that's just one need there's multiple things Leslie told you about 
Carolyn that's having a health issue and Sister Carolyn, my grandma Frances there the night had a had a really bad night uh, Friday night. And basically, she's she's leaving us mentally. <laughs> and I know I pick on her all the time, but I love my grandma. It won't be long that she won't know me. <laughs> and it hurts. We all got things going on. <sighs> Bow your head, if you will. Close your eyes. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I'm asking you, allow me to flourish. Allow me to be planted and connected in this church and to help me live out grace in my life. Help me to affect others to come to know you the way Peter did. God, I pray today. Everybody say it. God, I pray today for Eric Sylvie. Open a door that no man can shut. We know you can, and we believe you will. In Jesus' name, amen.